Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Focus Fire podcast. I'm Alan. I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff, out of control pool. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> I figure we have Jeff in control, Robinson. You can be Jeff out of control pool. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> welcome to the episode, guys. Welcome to episode number two. And uh, Focus Fire is a competitive podcast aimed at giving you practical advice, hopefully helping you to improve your game. We're going to have a couple topics for you to this week. We're going to our first topic. Is going to be the spring FAQ like anybody else. And we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, touch briefly on the un- the new Yanari rules. And our second topic will be adapting your list to the FAQs and the changes in the meta. And then we're at the very end, we're going to go, we both attended the Battle for LA GT here in Burbank, which was actually just a few blocks away from where we are right now. And uh, we're going to talk about how we did and basically changing our lists and reacting to assessing our losses and what went wrong and what we can do do to improve in the future. All right, our first topic is the FAQ. We've all seen it, we all know it, and we're gonna talk about a few things, what it means to us. Uh, now we're gonna talk about the changes to the big rule book. The first thing is they've added a keyword aircraft. And that's basically all your flyers, like your razor wing, anything that can't just basically go into hover mode. Well, and Well, actually, Alan, it does cover anything with a minimum movement, including like uh, razor wing, uh, um, the Dark Talons and those things, the Imperial Flyers that can go into hover, uh, those are considered aircraft as well. Okay, so it is the big moving, the fast moving aircraft, but if you can hover or not, it doesn't really matter. And uh, basically the changes that they made was that you can move within one inch of the aircraft. Basically the bases don't really matter. You can move through them, you can't land on them. And a few things that that means is you can't really move block with them like we've seen. And uh, you can do kind of a modified move block. Let's say you have a knight that moves 12 inches. You can land about 12 inches away and you can, can sh- kind of, since they can't land on your base, you can shorten up their move to eight inches, but you can't stop them and completely block them like you did in the past. Yeah, and just to clarify, you also can't move, end your movement within one inch of an aircraft's base. So they still, you still have to maintain that one inch buffer after you're done moving but you can move through them so you can go straight through if you have a 20 inch move on a gene seal or something they can run right underneath those aircraft yeah, and those bases are kind of large so you do kind of need fast moving uh units to go buy them bikes fast moving uh things that can like advance pretty fast so there's still a few things also, uh, a few things with the aircraft is you can't benefit from prepared positions. These are basically just common sense rules that with it. All right, and uh, they made some slight changes with the FAQ to fly. Now, it used to be they had an FAQ. The last FAQ said you couldn't fly over models basically in the assault phase and they changed it now that if you have fly you can do it so things like harlequins with their flip builds bikes and things like that it's going to be a lot harder now to screen them and we're going to probably see a return of the smash captains now another thing is they changed also the vanguard strike and table quarter missions they confirmed it well we've been playing it for a while now and they confirmed that basically those positions are fixed so you can only choose one of two table quarters or one of two vanguard corners to start from. You don't have a choice of all four corners of whichever one you wanted to move into, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I find it that, that that's a commonly misplayed rule. People are like, oh, what corner do you want in vanguard? And they all oh, take that one. But uh, it's important. And I think a lot of TOs, at least when we were setting up battle for a Los Angeles terrain, you know, we had we had that in mind, like where vanguard strike is going to be and where table quarters are going to be and and i would deploy terrain so that there was something in each of those and they also uh, changed fighting again for all those strats uh basically they clarify that you need to charge so it means that you probably can't use it in your opponent's phase 
and it can't be used if you're not within one inches of enemy models. Yeah, it's interesting because there was a big issue with it when you would get a smash captain charges into a flyer, kills that flyer on night or something, and then uh, gets killed back and then wants to fight again on death, uh, but they're not within one inch of something. Um, they've clarified that you cannot just activate that guy and pile him in. And the only exception to that is if he's charged. If he's charged, you can select him to fight, um, even if he um, is not within one inch of an enemy model uh, during that phase. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because I've seen people like move a bunch of inches across the board to get to assault other units, you know, because after they kill one unit, they get a three-inch consolidation move and then a three-inch pile-in move, and you can't really do that now, it seems like. Yeah, it's kind of just trying to curtail that um, fight on death extra movement. And one of the things I saw frequently talk about online was the fight was the uh, the wording that they have is, is as if it was the X phase. Like, for example... A forewarn is you get to shoot at a unit as if it was the shooting phase and what that really means. And a lot of people were debating, you know, does that mean that I can use strats and all the other abilities that come with shooting as if it's a shooting phase? Or is it not the shooting phase, but you just act as if it? And they clarified it that you, um, the rules govern stratagems you can't use, but basically all everything else you can, like auras and such, can be used. That's right. And, uh... That's about it for for the interesting things of uh, the main rule book. Yeah, and like like Alan was saying, we're not going to go through every particular change. We're just going to kind of go through the ones that we see as having some effect on the meta game in general. Um, I'll kind of kick us off with the faction-specific discussion, and I think the big elephant in the room that everyone was looking to see happen was the Knight Castle and uh, getting a nerf. Um, it went up about 100 points. And they limited all. They limited rotate ion shields to a maximum of a four plus plus invuln. So obviously, this is going to have a large meta impact because it's going to reduce the durability of knight uh, knights, and particularly the knight castlin, but also knight gallants and uh, knight crusaders and knightless and stuff like that. And I, I, I think that it's a really healthy thing for the game because I, I found, I don't know, when I was playing Eldar that I would. I, if I didn't have eight Dark Reapers double shooting with the Inari, it was hard to kill a knight. Um, that three-up invuln on a T8 28-wound model was really, really swinging because, you know, people will bring, you know, two Death Watch veteran squads with a million shots to kill the Horde, but they're only going to have eight Laz Cannons, and if that Knight Castlin kills four of them on for turn one, his three-up invulnerable save is a kind of a, a daunting hill to climb up. Yeah, you see a lot of people, because the Castilian was just so good. You saw a lot of solo Castilians just by themselves and all kinds of different Imperial armies, and that 100 points will be will go a little bit ways to kind of slow them down a little bit. But, of course, I was Harlequins, and I just put a Doom on a Castilian, just hit it with the Haywire grenades. I never had any problems with them. Well, you, you, may not, you may not have that luxury anymore. Wait, what? But we'll get to that. <laughs> um, now, I, here, my, my impression at the is that the Knight Castle will drop off in popularity and the reason for that isn't necessarily the nerf in actual power it's more of a perception nerf you know i, I think even at 700 points a night castle is awesome i actually think that the four plus plus invuln is not a huge deal you just typically you give your night castle and the warlord trait for a four up invulnerable save and just you don't even need to rotate now so you're saving yourself all those cps and if they knock you down you know it's almost dead you just spend the cp to act at top shelf so i see it as a net you know, a nerf to night castles, but I, I, I think people will stop bringing them because they perceive the the nerf as being greater than it actually is. I think mean, knocking 100 points out of a list isn't easy, but it's not something that 
should be, you know, just I, – I personally wouldn't throw my night castle away just because of this nerve. I'd, I'd play a few games with with it at the new point value and see how I like it. Yeah, not only not only do Castilians shoot well, they have the volcano cannons and all the other shooting that they have, but also they have a very valuable role of just being a fire magnet, and they can just absorb so much damage, and a lot of people do shoot at them with all this other stuff, so the rest of your army is unmolested. So even if it went up 100 points, I think it's still a valuable model to have in your Imperial arsenal, and I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of gnashing of teeth and moaning and whining about it going up 100 points and nobody's ever going to use it again, and but but I think it's still a good value for its price. Yeah. And, you know, the four plus max and Vuln will um, reduce that role of a big bullet sponge slightly. But, you know, it's an 18% decrease in durability. It's not that that big of a deal, in my opinion. But, you know, it makes it a bit swing. Uh, the next thing they did is a, they have, it's kind of interesting now. We have these designer commentaries that come out with the FAQs where the rules writers actually sit down and tell you why they made changes changed the assassin, the pocket assassin stratagem to be two command points um, and not able to be used if you have any other assassins in your list, which I think was, I mean, from my perspective as a non-imperial player, it was great because those assassins were just how, or, you know, uh, a Kaladis a assassin. These things are insanely good. I mean, like they dialed them up to an 11 with that white dwarf. Uh, this makes it more of a commitment but I think you'll still see it in like every Imperial list. Yeah, because there's servicer. He's like a he's basically like an Imperial solitary. He just runs across the board and he'll just dice a unit. And of course, I play Thousand Suns and Zinch, and the the uh, Colexus Assassin is just a huge cock blocker for all my psychic powers because they made the Colexus now minus two to cast. Orbs, he does, he's immune to all psychic powers, so I can't even smite anywhere around him. So the uh, we'll, the assassins are still quite good, and we'll see a lot of them. Yeah, the next the next big change for the they solidified or finalized the bolter drill rule. Um, one thing you want to note is that they they did change it to no longer affect non dreadnought vehicles. Uh, flyers were the big uh, problem. I think that they saw is that these dark talons would just you know they before they had to come up close to you to get into rapid fire range, but now they with that extra extra versatility, I think they thought that was too much um, because of the hurricane bolters. The other thing is they. This is something I caught is it's it's by it's on a model per model basis. So when I, this kind of ties into the Death Watch FAQ and the Death Watch FAQ they they dialed back the bolter drill special ammunition thing that people were doing where you could double your rapid fire by not moving and still shoot special issue ammunition. Now, Death Watch players will need to choose whether they want to take the bolter discipline rule when they're shooting or use the special issue ammunition, which I think is a fair, uh, nerf or, you know, yeah, I guess it's a nerf. Um, but they also added in the terminators and bikes count as terminators and bikes when they're using bolter discipline. But I just want to note for everyone, like the bolter discipline rule says model by model. So it doesn't matter if you have a terminator in your veteran squad, the, the veterans will still have to stay still or, uh, they won't be able to dis uh, benefit from the bolter discipline rule. So make sure that when you're playing a Death Watch opponent, or if you are playing Death Watch, that you don't think that the Terminator confers the move and shoot to the whole squad. Um, that may have been how it was worded prior to the FAQ, but that's not how it's worded anymore. I think that this is going to see um, a pretty big hit to the Death Watch meta because people were really 
really high on the Death Watch train, you know, having the three units of veterans with the mixings of storm shields and whatnot. They could drop down anywhere they wanted um, and put out a bunch of special issue ammunition. And then the next turn, they could just not move and have a 24 inch range with their special issue ammunition. So I think it's going to be a marginal hit. Yeah, it's a hit to Death Guard or Death Watch, sorry, um, for sure. But I don't, I don't know how meta changing it will be other than that you might see people who are on the fence with death watch not not jumping over to the other side yeah we saw a lot of good players like i think andrew ganyu played uh, death watch and a lot of other people did well with death watch and that was before, prior to bolter <laughs> drill so you know i think there's still a viable army and still have some some good points yeah i i played andrew ganyu at uh lvo in my sixth game and lost to him with my towel was very very close like probably one of the funnest games of 40k i had in a long time and he had the uh, the teleport teleport homers, which I don't see a lot of the Death Guard or Death Watch players take. And you, he set up these teleport homers in his home field. And when he was close to me, I got it down to one one Terminator left in the squad. And he said, "All right, I'm out of here." And he teleports back to his his home field, uh, denies me the mark for death point that I was trying to get out of that guy. And <laughs> that was a pretty big deal in our game, actually. So, uh, you know, it's they they have a lot of tricks. They're like. Uh, very tricksy Imperium people. Yeah, with the uh, bolter drill, it looks like they're trying to limit it to just basic bolters now. And uh seems like the one that got through the cracks was Thousand Suns. They didn't limit them, and they have their uh, two AP bolters, so they can still do their bolter drill, but everybody else gets got some limit to them. Yeah, and then the Imperium had a couple other, you know, minor things. They clarified that, or not really clarified, they ruled that, uh, all these heavy weapon squads from the various, you know, Death Corps, Krieg, or Elysian, or the Gene Circle Brood Brothers are all the same data sheet for the purposes of Rule 3. Uh, they did the same thing with the Demon Princes, so you can't run that nine Demon Prince list that sucked anyways. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I am uh, definitely someone, uh, I'm an attorney, so uh, what I when I read rules, I always, like, kind of, some things stand out to me. And one thing I did notice that is probably not relevant to the meta at all, but... Um, uh, I'll bring it up anyways, is they ruled in the Imperial Guard FAQ that if you fall back with a with a squad, a guard squad, and then order it later in the turn, you cannot order it to move, 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 because it has to advance. And I guess because you fell back earlier, you couldn't advance. That contradicts a Harlequin FAQ that says if the Harlequins fall back and you twilight path them for extra movement, they can then advance. I don't know if that has something to do with their special rules, but I don't think it does, but it's just kind of a weird contradiction. Um the only other thing, uh, and that's from the you know Guard Codex uh, FAQ. That's where I kind of saw that, and it kind of uh, I was reading the Harlequin one later, and was kind of like, wait, what's going on here? So, uh, Great Knights also took a quick little uh, nerf. They can no longer get the two plus plus, which is probably for the best. That you know that kind of durability they're trying to remove from the game. And they the final thing they did that I noted um, was they fixed Sisters of Battle repressors, where you you can no longer advance and shoot with the models inside. Um, which is, you know, a minor nerf to Sisters of Battles, Sisters of Battle players, but it's something that you would see a lot of them do. They put their Dominion squads and repressors on turn one, scout up the board in advance, and then move in advance again if they needed to, and and throw a bunch of storm bolters or melta shots into whatever was uh, a nice juicy target. So yeah, they're working with their beta codex right now, so we'll figure. So when they get their real codex, I guess we'll see more out of them. GW at Eighth Edition stopped everybody from shooting out of vehicles, at least that weren't open topped, and the repressor kind of slipped under the wire. 
And also the Grey Knights, they, they want to get rid of two plus and vulnerable saves. They don't want people just to be ultra durable and just sit there and just tank a million wounds. The exception, of course, right now, I think is the Shadow Field on, uh, on yeah. the Dark Elder Archons. But you, it goes away the first time you yeah, fill Yeah, you, you roll a one wait. and you're basically ganked at that point. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so that's interesting. Well, that's all. That's all the things I really noted from the Imperium side of things. What about the uh, the darker the darker persuasions, Alan? Okay, next up is Chaos, and of course we uh, we knew the Obliterators were going up to one fifteen. Although people were arguing that this, uh, the Codex said sixty five, and everybody was playing at one fifteen, so it's not really a big surprise for anybody. They also fixed Noise Marines. Noise Marines had this annoying ability that when you killed them, they could shoot anybody anywhere the reason why is because it's not technically i guess in their shooting phase so targeting rules did not really uh did not really count so they basically if you kill a noise marine they basically shot your characters and as retaliation so that was kind of taken out of the game which is nice they also combine all the demon princes as jeff just mentioned uh the rule of three applies to just all demon princes so you can't have you know death guard thousand sons chaos space marines and and uh Chaos demons, demon princes all running together. So you got three and then you're out. Also, uh, they limited cultists to uh, to 30 for everybody else, but Thousand Suns got to keep 40. So I don't know if that really matters that much. They don't have tied to traitors, unfortunately. So I don't know how effective 40 cultists are going to be. And then also Thousand Suns have this annoying stratagem called this flesh change. And if you had like a sorcerer, you can just pop the strat and what it did is you can create a spawn within six inches and so what everybody did just before being charged was uh popping the spawn and they they set it up within one inches of the enemy and now they they uh, reduced it to uh you have to be over an inch away so you, there's no more popping a spawn to lock uh lock units in assault and also they basically changed all the um, all the spawn rules. Because basically Thousand Suns and Chaos Demons have all these ways of each creating spawns. And they said basically you, you, if you create a spawn it has to be over an inch away. But usually you create it in your own turn you can charge with it. But And the last thing to note on Chaos was this with the Aspiring Champions. If the Aspiring Champion of a Rubric or a scarab cult uh, terminator squad if he perils he blows up and he would and he only has one or two wounds and then he takes the whole squad with him basically and they did it now so it's kind of like a brotherhood of sorcerers thing where if you blow up you can instead of just blowing up your uh, aspiring champion you can take it from the rubric marines and Okay, next up we have Xenos. Jeff go ahead and talk about gene sealer cults well uh, there was a, you know a few um, few large changes here um, the biggest one, in my opinion, is not being able to order the Brood Brothers squads. Uh, you saw a lot of these lists with they'd run sixty, you know, three units of twenty Brood Brothers um, with las guns, and they would then ally in some Tempests or Primes or Company Commanders and order those guys to first rank fire, second rank fire. So they they deep strike in with Colt ambush and then throw out eighty shots, you know, hitting on fours. You know, it's not a ton of stuff, but for you know, whatever it was, 80 points or something for that unit, it's a super cheap and effective way to, to essentially double their firepower. So they took that away, which I think was... They also, uh, there was this edge case people who were reading, uh, including people on my, my team, who were reading the, they came from below strat to allow you to take your blips off the board and then like put them into reserves and then deep strike them on turn one, which was clearly not the intent of, in my opinion, was clearly not the intent of the stratagem uh they clarify that you cannot do that if you do that they go into reserves and they can come in normally as in uh, after turn one um 
they nerfed Mental Onslaught. Um, they also did the same thing with Death Grip for Imperial Knights, where if your opponent rolls a six, the the thing is done. So um, there's there's always a way to get out. It's it's going to affect Gene Sailor Cold's ability to deal with larger targets such as Imperial Knights and specifically Flyers because they don't really have anything that flies. So, you know, I think the Gene Sailor Cult pure lists are going to have to um, really look deep into the <laughs> Imperial Guard Forge World uh, catalog to see if there's any decent anti-aircraft um, stuff that they can bring in there because without Mental Onslaught being able to just one-shot a Flyer, they don't really have a good answer for the uh, the Eldar flyer list. Yeah, they they're basically an assault army. They don't have very much shooting, so they do struggle against uh, destroying flyers. Of course, they just cover the board, I guess, with bodies and try to drown them that way. But it's not the best uh, solution. But yeah, metal onslaught. Everybody knew it was going to be nerfed. Something had to be done. There's no way that. I, you know, by just changing, lowering somebody's leadership, that one psychic power should be able to nuke an entire knight down to zero wounds. So, yeah, it was a bit extreme, and I, I think everyone <laughs> would agree with that. Um, Tau really didn't get infected by the FAQ. They, there were some clarifications in there. Um, one thing to note if you're playing against Tau, any uh, Tau Sept unit doesn't overwatch on fives if it's by itself, it has to be around other tau sept uh units so if you have something kind of off on its own it's going to be overwatching on sixes instead of fives uh orcs on the other hand they they took it uh right on the chin um they faq'd the mob up stratagem to only work on the boys um and you can't even do it after they deep strike it has to be before you deep strike uh, or put your deep strikes in from reserves so you can't Deep strike one squad down, combine up with another one that's close to the enemy, and then have 80 boys or whatever it is charging something. Um, it's a big hit to Ludas and Mega Knobs and all the other units that people were um, bringing in the uh, meta. But I think, you know, I, I have an Orc army. I've played a few games with it, but I think it's actually a good thing. You know, it, it, it kind of will diversify orc list so that you know yeah they'll still still bring your 15 ludas and you'll still double shoot them and they'll still do a great job at killing things but you'll kind of have to temper your your long-range firepower with or supplement it with something else you know tank you'll see tank bust the boys and a bunch of other things maybe uh the the shock attack guns um one other thing they clarified for orcs was the when you roll for the number of shots and the number of uh, strength on the shock attack gun and for the Ludas, you have to re-roll that every time you select them to fire. So if you get a really good roll on your Ludas on the first time you shoot with them, you can't carry that over to the second round of shooting at the end of the shooting phase when you use the uh, show-and-off stratagem. So Yeah, that's... That's a lot of good changes. Basically, uh, I saw where everybody took 15 and 10 Ludas and mobbed them up to 25 Ludas. And that made them really good because then that just amplifies the Daka 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 stratagem and the shoot twice stratagem. And also the re-rolling uh, for uh, the... Uh each time you shoot is really good because a lot of times, you know, if they rolled one shot, they'd re-roll it. If two, they usually let it go or if they re-roll, they either had a three or re-rolled a three. So if they do re-roll once on the first uh, number of shots, they won't be able to re-roll for the second number of shots. So. Yeah. I think you'll see instead of people re-rolling, they just kind of accept the one unless they really, really need to kill something that's tough or hard to get, get you know. Uh, and then, of course, we have everyone's favorite Eldar. Alan Lynch, tell us about Eldar, it. yes, the scourge of the galaxy. Uh, John and Adam of TFG Radio fame hate Eldar with the passion of a thousand burning suns. And uh, I think they'd be dancing on the poor Eldar's grave. So 
The first big changes is to Doom and Jinx. As we all know, that's the Eldar Crutch, the two big whammies uh, that, that benefit Dark Eldar and Harlequins, and now they got it removed that they only work on Eldar units. So, Assyriani only, so... Uh, that's going to be a big blow to those two factions. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because it's going to be a... I actually foresee a lot of the Yanari players and uh, jumping on just pure craft world because, you know, or just, you know, running a flyer lift and saying, fuck it, I don't need Doom on my Razorwing jet fighters. I'll just run three Crimson Hunters, three Razorwings, and some Dark Reapers. You know, they don't need to be Yanari anymore, but they're still good. You know, I think I think the change to Doom is... It will particularly affect your old list, Alan, where you were running those Haywire bikes. You know, without Doom, the Haywire bikes are dog shit against Imperial Knights <laughs> because you need sixes to wound. You don't get any rerolls, so you're kind of hoping and you know, hoping and praying that you can roll a couple of six to do some mortal wounds to them, you know? Yeah, what people don't understand about the Harlequin army is everything is strength four or worse. And literally, their shooting's all strength four, their assault is all strength four, and... That doom is not just wanted; it's needed, and without it, they really—they're gonna. They're, we'll talk a little bit more about what you can do to overcome it, but they're gonna. In the short term, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, I think I think Jukari will be fine. Um, I mean, every, obviously they're better with doom. I heard a rumor, you know, when I was I was my last list I was playing was a venom spam list, a lot of poison, and I heard doom was gonna change in this way, and I said, oh. Well, I'm going to put that list away because <laughs> without re-rolls, poison is too swingy in my opinion, you know? Yeah, wounding on fours is rough. You, uh, it's you, great if you're shooting Magnus the Red. It sucks if you're shooting an <laughs> Imperial Guardsman, you know? <laughs> yeah, so so that's, that's going to be a big thing because usually my armies, I go, I usually don't take the most uh, broken list and the most, you know, the cutting edge, bleeding edge of the meta. But So whenever there's FAQs or changes or nerf, I'm usually, I'm left unscathed and... This one hit me right in the feels. This one, I used Doom on my Harlequin jet bikes, and that one really, uh, I ain't gonna lie, this one hurt. All right, next up is uh, they changed uh, the, the Forge World, the, Scar Scar the Wraith Knight, the Scratchethatch, whatever it is, the one thing nobody can ever pronounce. And the Wraith Seer got the Wraith Construct keyword, which helps them out a little bit. Gets, means that they can buff up their invulnerable save, means... Makes them a lot more durable. Yeah, and if you use that, if you use that, uh, the vigilist attachment, they can be included in that vigilist attachment now. Is how you do it, right? Yeah. And the way, and there's kind of a we've seen a nerfing to anti-vehicle and the big, big, uh, the big guns, and making them a little bit durable might make the the wraith knight a little bit more viable on the battlefield. We might see a couple of wraith knights. The uh, another thing is uh, agents of act. You. You kind of saw the changes. They had, they kind of had something that came out of with the last FAQ. But basically, you need a Blackheart detachment and a unit on the battlefield to get a uh, agent of uh, Vecta. Also, they have a, a word gear, the uh, Vexator mask, and that's annoying piece of war gear. That if you're in assault with a unit, or basically within six inches of a usually homunculus, I think has to take them. Uh, you can you can be chosen to attack last and. Now you can use the stratagem, the interrupt stratagem, to uh, to basically override it, and uh, so you don't have to attack last. But it costs you have to bend in those two command points. Now it doesn't say it. It only it only talked about the vexator mask. But what do you the the scourged the new uh, the new chaos based marine renegade chapter? They have a their warlord trait is the attack first and make a unit attack last. 
and also the armor of rust has a similar ability. So do you think so that will generally you think apply to every of all of them now? Well, it, it should, but um, I, I when I was reading that, I, I immediately thought of paroxysm from the Tyranid Codex, and and there is literally an FAQ that says the exact opposite of this. Um, the, the paroxysm power, psychic power from the Tyranid Codex has the exact same wording as the Vexator Mask, but there's an FAQ in the Tyranid Codex that says you cannot use the counter-offensive stratagem or whatever it's called to, to interrupt. So there's this really big, and, and I think really you know stupid of Games Workshop to have this big contradiction because it they're the same thing, but there's two different rulings on it. So I don't know how TOs will move forward with this if for armor of rust or or the 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 chaos space marine strat uh warlord trait you were mentioning i suspect that they'll if i was a to i'd rule with the most current one of the two which is the vexator mask one um but it's you know i, I would ask your to on that for sure and expect to see a variety of rulings from the different to's all right and that's just about it for the faqs now we're going to talk a little bit about the inari changes jeff well you know, we're not going to do a full Yanari Codex review because we don't do that kind of things, and I don't think it's really important for everyone to know. Uh, the The big takeaway that everyone should take uh, that should know is is Yanari is gone. You know, it's not a, something you're going to see anymore. Um, I, you know, I've I've looked through the leaked I images. I disagree. Go on. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've looked through the the leaked images, and there's there's some stuff there. Maybe I don't know if you dig into it. I'm sure there's going to be something, but they ch essentially changed strength of death to no longer give double actions. It now just uh, essentially gives everyone, when something dies, all the Inari units get strike first in combat. And if they're already striking first for some reason, i.e. a war gear or they charge, they get plus one ahead. So that's the big thing. Um, they gave him some, you know, stratagems and uh, warlord traits and relics and, and psychic powers that you can take that are kind of cool. But they specifically said you can no longer be affected by anything that's craft world, pure craft world uh, or pure dark Eldar or Harlequin. So if you have a Yanari detachment, it is on its own. It is, you can't use the stratagems from the craft world book or anything like that. So to me, what you give up is way, way less powerful than what's in the, what I at least first blush looked at this Yanari thing. There's some play there with maybe witches or har Harlequins or something like that. Um, but for my two cents, I don't think that the Yanari, uh, is something that you'll see at e even mid tables at GTs. Oh, I sound a I hear a challenge coming from you. Um, <laughs> the, the, the change of Yanari, so the double action obviously is too powerful. Everybody's paying three CPs for that ability and just giving it twice or, shoot twice or attack twice in every turn was just too powerful. And they tried to nerf it and nerf it, and they finally, of course, got rid of it. And they kind of also made them into more of a assault army. And as we know with Eldar, Eldar, is, that's not their wheelhouse, is the assault. You know, but so who, what units will benefit? I think witches will benefit. Shining Spears will uh, benefit. Skyweavers will benefit. And basically Harlequin troops. Now, I, I kind of ran a lot of Skyweavers, and although they took my Doom away from me, which kind of sucks, 
They did. There's no way to make a Harlequin bike, the Skyweaver, shoot better. But the Yanari can help them shoot a little better. So they can with the uh, they can have a, they have a stratagem and, and not stratagem, psychic power and some other abilities where you get to reroll one. So although it's not equal to Doom, rerolling ones helps out just a little bit, uh, make them a little bit better. And they have a lot of different abilities. Now, for example, there's you couldn't really buff the Harley Quinn, the Skyweaver jet bikes when I assaulted. So now I can, uh, now when the Harley Quinn jet bikes assault, they're plus one to hit. And usually they can have something that helps them out reroll one. So whereas before I was hitting on threes, I'm now hitting on twos with a reroll ones. And so that makes them a lot better in assault. And now, of course, there's, there's strength three, strength four with their Zephyr Glaives. And they basically have a stratagem that they get to reroll. So they, the, the Skyweaver jet bikes got a lot better in assault, but the big money round of the Haywire jet bikes, the... Uh, the haywire cannons that kind of that was kind of slightly taken off so i think i think going with harlequins the yanari actually is not too bad because the Har the yanari buffs them in ways that the harlequins were not buffed by playing pure pure codex yeah and i i don't disagree with you i think harlequins if you're going to run any of them are probably the most suited but to me you get you give up all those stratagems from the harlequin codex you give up the three plus and vulnerable when you uh, advance and I don't know if you saw this, but you can't take an a uh, solitaire yeah, in Yunari anymore, which is I love my solitaire. I know that that's <laughs> the the soul bursting solitaire was a thing of beauty. Um, for <laughs> if you was in your list, <laughs> if it was against you, it was a horrible abomination of destruction. <laughs> so but, uh, I don't know if you have anything else to say about the Yunari, Alan. But what are your overall impressions about the FAQ and, and how it's going to change the the meta coming up over the next couple months? Well, I think what everybody notes is that it kind of made vehicle killing, it took it down a notch. Dark Reapers are not shooting twice. Um, the Castilian is 100 points more expensive. Looters can't mob up. And so there's, there's been a change to kind of make vehicles a little bit better. I'm not, I'm not really sold on it. Because the thing with vehicles in 8th edition now is that you don't need LAS cannons to kill vehicles. You can kill, you can kill vehicles with just weight of fire now. Wounding on fives, if you have enough shots, will still do the job. And so I'm not, so everybody's talking, I think the death of the, uh, the, 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 the new life to vehicles, I think, is going to be greatly overrated. Yeah, I would agree with you. I've heard, you know, some commentary on, Vehicle spam coming back, and it's going to be a big thing. And Brandon Grant at the Battle for Los Angeles ran it, run a ton of tank, ran a ton of tanks. He had like three tank commanders, like I think three chimeras, a wyvern, a basilisk, a bunch of tanks, um, which is all well and good. And I think you might see some of those lists kind of pop up. And I've heard commentary about the horde meta going away, but to me, the horde meta is still really good. You know, you can throw down 150 fearless bodies it's still that are tough to chew through it's still going to be something that's good and will be hard for a lot of people to deal with yeah because i played scare of a cold terminus which is supposed to be a super durable unit and i got blown off the table pretty easily so so the small elite units except for like uh the custodes are just are just still can get blown off the table easily and the uh the horde army just just fighting away through just a million models by just sheer firepower, you know, it's still hard to do. Yeah, it's a tough thing. 
Uh, I think the meta, you know, it'll move in an interesting direction. I think, you know, uh, it's tough to say. I, I don't think the fly change is actually going to be impactful. There will be a few edge cases where crack and gene sitter players are um, excited because they can run underneath a plane. Uh, but I, to me, it's it's you can still move blocking with planes will just be a little bit more of a finesse thing than it was before. You can't just fly right up to them and park in front of them. You have to park <laughs> four inches away from the Imperial Guard squad so they can't – their six-inch move will put them right in the middle of your base. So you can't – you have to stop – you know, three inches, they can only move three inches. And if you move, move, move them, they have to uh, essentially, clear base. Yeah, yeah, the clear base, which if they don't roll high enough and they're, they can't get their whole squad through there, it's it's not going to work out for them. So I don't know. To me, the the flyer change, the actually the biggest change of flyers, they, they can no longer prepare a position. I think that's going to actually be a big hit to the um, the Eldar flyer list because Eldar flyer list, all those flyers have three, well, the, the Eldar ones have three up saves and the Dark Elder ones have four up saves. So if you prepared positions you're suddenly going to a two-up save on your hemlocks and your uh crimson hunter x arcs and going losing that cover bonus is actually kind of a big deal because the shots that do connect are going to be more lethal but you're still minus two to hit them so sure yeah i mean it, th that's true but you know the castle and you know putting minus one uh auto can or those auto cannon turrets or whatever they're called into you the minus one suddenly is putting you a four up instead of a three up i mean that that math is, mm, is not fast reflexes minus three it's 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 those, those elder flyers are really tough to kill yeah no i mean i'm not going to say it's not but losing prepared positions i think was uh, kind of a the biggest bloat that aircraft took um i don't think the new the new rules are really going to stop them at all as a general rule i think most of these faqs are just common sense fixes that most, that as far as the little ticky-tack things most people were playing anyways. And, you know, we didn't see any armies doing really well with running around with six, uh, you know, demon princes. You know, mostly you'll see is like three thousand sons demon princes because they're head and soldiers, shoulders above the uh, the other ones. You know, and Ludas, you know, 20, still have 15 Ludas still doing their, their work in their mojo. The big changes, I think, are to Eldar and Yunari. And we saw Ray do well with his Yunari list, you know, and basically his, the only thing he did really with his Yunari, I think, was just double shooting Ludas. With, dark with Reapers, his, but yeah. I mean, dark, sorry, Dark Reapers. <laughs> uh, he wasn't shooting his Ludas. Yeah, he was double shooting his Dark Reapers with, what's the word of the Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, it's that, I am not, uh, I, I lost the top table to that, so I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sad to see double shooting Yanari go. It, it was absurd and... You know, it, it only took them a year and a half or two years to fix it, but. <laughs> but I yeah. think I think a lot of players were just suckling at that teat because it was just so strong, and now it's taken away. I think we still see how powerful Eldar is, is. and you know we'll see. I think and with the uh, changes with the meta, and with the nerfing of some of the anti vehicles, I think we're going to see a lot more wave serpents because Ray was running a serpent spam list, and you basically were running a serpent spam list, and. Wave Serpents are just so good. Their ability to just fly and just touch units and just lock them up from shooting and just their maneuverability and and durability. It's uh, Yeah, I think if you're running Craft World, you either run Flyers or Wave Serpents or a combination thereof, you know, because th those are the two good things from the list. Wave Serpents are incredibly durable and they can stack multiple negative hit modifiers. So that's uh, they become extremely durable at that point. And I also hear people talking about the death of Shining Spears, you know, not being able to move up, shoot, and then jump back, or being able to, uh, not being able to attack twice. I've been using Shining Spears for the last six months without 
Yanari and they're let me tell you they're perfectly fine by themselves they don't need any they don't need any additional help so yeah so Alan you know with all these meta changes you know our, our second topic is is kind of how you adapt your list with these things in mind um, I, my particular philosophy on this is and on list design is like when I build a list I go through a lot of head work to get it to get it to where it is, you know, and, and I, I try not to make changes of any substantial nature in my list while I'm playing practice games. I like to get six to eight games, ten games with the list before I make any substantial changes. And, you know, I would caution anyone who's going to go out and change their list. I mean, unless the FAQ nerfed your list... I wouldn't go out and change it because I don't think this FAQ is going to change your the the meta in a drastic way. All it's going to do the big thing is you're going to see a shift in the imperial ca single castle and splash into an imperialist. You'll see less of those, but you'll probably you'll still going to see the castle in a nightless, and you're still going to see Eldar. Um, you might not see Yanari in the same form, but you're still going to see Eldar, and it's still going to be a pain in your ass. Uh, with all those minuses to hit. So my philosophy with the meta approach is to kind of as a wait and see philosophy. I, um, I'm i going to keep playing the Tau I was playing, and Tau got out unscathed from the FAQ. So, uh, you know, they were already doing really well. And I think because of the, the reduction of the castle, although the castling wasn't an issue for Tau in my opinion, but um, the Shining Spears and Dark Reapers soul bursting was a huge deal for me. Uh, the ability for them to run away, hide behind, kill something, and then run away and hide behind line of sight was a was a big uh, problem for me. So you know, I'll still be seeing uh, dark reapers shooting. They just won't be shooting twice, so I'll last uh, twice as long, hopefully. But yeah, the fly being able to fly over your front lines too kind of hurt Tau a little bit. Not that not that Mutz will survive going through there. But being able to jump over the lines and tying up, you know, broadsides or whatever that you're trying to screen and try to keep it in the back. Yeah, it's going to definitely change the play style a little bit. You have to be, be careful you don't get jumped over. But Yeah, Smash Captain with, uh, with the uh, no Overwatch ability is yep. coming right through those lines. Yeah, that'll be a thing for sure. So uh, I, I, to me, the meta change is something that if I was... Uh, my you know my advice to the listeners would be to just wait and see you know if your list wasn't directly affected by the FAQ just kind of wait and see how it goes you know if you're if you're if you're gunning for a big tournament like Alan and I are going to be going to the Bay Area Open at the end of May you know I don't suspect the meta to change a big amount between then and now I think people might it's still going to be fresh so people are going to be trying a lot of weird shit at BAO <laughs> that they haven't really figured out and they're just kind of trying something there you know, they'll be your vehicle spam the rhino spam all this other stuff that have people have been talking about now that the FAQ is out they'll be trying that out they'll have maybe 10 test games with it in their local meta and they don't they don't have any real GT level experience against uh, you know players from out of town so I think you'll see a lot of wonky stuff and I don't know what's going to stick, you know. Um, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, when I, if my list does get affected by the meta, or once once I play a few games to see how the meta shakes out, my philosophy is to make, you know, minor changes to my list to unless the whole thing, unless there's some some meta change that scraps my list completely, which is I think rare. But that that's kind of my philosophy on adapting my list to meta changes um what about you alan i'm not gonna i don't ever react to you know faq changes like i said my my army usually doesn't get uh too damaged by faqs 
But if I do play my Harlequin kind of Eldar, uh, Dark Eldar, Drukari list, I probably will go with Harlequins being Yunari instead of Harlequins. Um, as far as my Thousand Sons and Zinch goes, it's still I'm still kind of I'm still trying to make a list that works, try to figure it out, and really worry about the FAQs. I thought about a few things because I took that the battle for LA. Well, I guess we can talk about this a little bit and what happened. Yeah, sure. I ended up going uh, four and one. I lost one game. He had a uh, he had the Falchion. Now Falchion is this monstrosity. It has Forge World tank. It's toughness nine, like twenty eight wounds. Has two volcano cannons and like six las cannons and a bunch of heavy boulders. And basically, turn one, it shot Magnus and just blew him off the table. And it was just downhill from there. I thought, well, okay, now I can't, without Magnus, I can't kill that Falchion, so I figured I'll just kill his rest of his stuff, but it didn't really work. That, that thing was just, did so much damage. And I hate having a list where I have to go first. And that's one of the things with Magnus is against certain shooty armies, you have to go first. And I never want to be in that position with an army. I think that's an unsuccessful army build if your win or loss depends on the role of the, uh, of the if you go first or not. And also, one thing I didn't thought about Magnus that I, I realize now is uh, during that, uh, that tournament was he always gives up full Kingslayer points, whereas my Zinch army really struggles with the secondaries, getting secondary uh, objectives and getting those, and then bam, Magnus will just, will just by at least turn two, he's, except for one game he rampaged through the whole game. He uh, he gives up four quick Kingslayer points, and that that's a hole I kind of have to dig myself out of. So I think I'm just gonna I think I'm just gonna dump Magnus. Unfortunately, I kind of hate to see the see him go. I just like him so much, and um, I got to figure out a replacement for him. I think I probably might put in Fate Weaver. I love the plus two to cast psychic powers, and I need a lot of psychic powers, and he has access to. All the psychic powers of the Zinch demon. So you know, Tide of Traitors is very situational, and it's very nice to have that when you when you need it. And then also, I I've run mean, around with a lot of horrors and the ability to buff horrors with flickering flames, and then boon of boon of chaos either giving my horrors plus one strength, plus one toughness, or plus one attack is really good. So I think I think I'm gonna go with them, and then. The uh, the warlord is just so durable with the uh, with the uh, robes, the impossible robe, and the uh, inferior form where I'm minus one damage to all my attacks. He is super durable. You I've run had, that on a Lord of Change, right? A Lord, what I say, Lord of Change. Yes, I have that. Uh, my warlord is, is the Lord of Change, and people just try to shoot at him. I had a Necron army shoot at him for three turns last night, and. You know, he did about 10 wounds to him, but he's still, you know, he's still fighting, still pissed off. And I figured, and then if you do go against a super shooty army, something that can kill him, for example, I don't know what could, but maybe. But if I do take Fate Weaver, the advantage of the the, the Demon Codex, Greater Demons, is you can always deep strike him. Spends two command points and you can put him in reserve. Magnus, unfortunately, doesn't have that ability. He always got to sit on the table and he's always sitting there out there to be shot at. So I, I think I'm going to go with uh, two big birds and just Zangors and Horrors. Yeah, so kind of walk us to back up off the specifics. What do you... so? You know, last week we discussed assessing your losses. So you look at a game, you say, what did I, what, how did I, what can I learn from this game? But, but then comes the next step, right? Which is something you mentioned last week was maybe you just need to change your list. So 
What are some of the things you look at in general, not just specifically for the list you're running right now, but after a game with the list, what do you look to uh, specifically to when you're going to make a change? How, what, what, what criteria do you kind of use if you have any or if you can identify them? Well, I think Magnus is kind of, I love Magnus, but he's 440 points, and he can be killed relatively easy. He gives up full King Slayer points, and I kind of want to go second, and my army's built around durability. The horrors are super durable. Everything else, I can keep a lot back in Deep Strike, and otherwise I have a bunch of characters hidden hidden behind, you know, horrors or the Lord of Change, and I just, I don't want to give up kills. And Magnus is kind of, he's not an easy kill, but he can be killed. And so he has to go first in some matches. Whenever that happens, I, I just, I hate that. I don't, I always, I prefer to go second if I can, because it gives you, strategically, it gives you ability to react to your opponent's movement and maybe blow somebody off of a, a like a objective or hold more objectives. And it tells you how many you need to kill to get more kills. And so I'm just, I'm kind of building my army now around just that super durable army. And Magnus, Magnus was kind of like a, like a, a weak link in that being super durable was he's just huge and he just stood out there. And I'm, it's not really what I learned from my losses this game, but I'm I I kind of look at the meta, and going forward I kind of look at it. There's this thing that we're seeing now is the Adeptus Custodes have this tank. What's it called? The the Caladius. Cal- 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 yeah. These tanks are like 220, 210 points, have a million shots at Ballista Skill 2, shoot 60 inches, strength 8, like AP 3, whatever, and then they have another like like a, like six heavy bolter shots that come out of them. And these things, Jeff Robinson ran two of them. And we have a friend, Danny J, one of our teammates. He ran uh, he ran some. He, you played him last yeah. week. And you were playing Tau, and he outshot you. And it was absurd. Those things are insane. They don't suffer movement penalties for moving. They have a 14-inch fly move. They're pretty durable. They're, you know, 14-wound tank. Uh, but they... They hit on twos, re-rolling ones, and if you have Trajan around, they re-roll once a wound as well, and it's uh, they're insane for the point cost. I think, I think like that minus, whole minus two to assault them. They, yeah, they're minus one to hit if they have the banner next to them. I mean, the whole the whole Custodes Forge World range, in my opinion, is either needs to get toned down or under or up the points increase because a lot of that stuff to tell them in Dreadnought. Uh, the 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 grab tanks are they're insane. And our buddy Tom, he bought the uh, he bought the Orion uh, super heavy flyer from the Custodes range. Thing has like toughness eight, twenty two wounds, and it flies like a flying Imperial Knight almost. Holds like a million troops and has all this shooting. I don't think it's good as the, but that that little Caladius Cal- uh, grab tank. I think going forward we're going to start seeing more and more of those because. Those are just so undercosted for what they can do and their abilities. Yeah, you can screen out melee, genes or cults, minus two to charge is a big deal. So uh, I, I agree. You know, when I, and what I heard, Alan, from you is, you know, uh, when you finish a game, you kind of go, okay, what in my list didn't work, didn't mesh with the vision of the list, right? Um, and how do I change my list to to remove that thing that didn't work and maybe add something in that does work. And so, you know, you're writing this list that's super durable. You find that there's a big thing that gives up. And, you know, the idea of the durability is to deny your opponent 
points in the ITC, deny them kill points. So you can you can you can even sometimes even deny them a kill period. And then usually if they if they get a kill, it's one kill, and then you just have to kill two things, and you're up on points there. So you're incrementally nickeling, diming, nickel and diming your opponent in the in the game. And when you have something like Magnus that suddenly just like that gives up four Kingslayer points and is dead on turn one because a Knight Castle or a, or a Falchion or whatever shoots him to death on turn one or some Tau, uh, you know you you suddenly are that's not working into your battle plan. And so you one of the things we can tell the listeners is. When you, after a game, you know, you should assess your losses. What tactical errors did you make in the game? You know, that's a different thing than what we're talking about now. What we're talking about now is how does your list function? What's the battle plan? I, whenever we, uh, my, one of our teammates hands me an idea for a list and, you know, I, I, I before I even look at it, I say, what's the battle plan? What's your, what's your idea of how this list functions? How does it move around the board? How does it, does it move as one unified unit or is it just kind of spread out and do it? Everyone does its own thing. What's your plan for secondaries? How are you going to, you know, uh, hold objectives in your backfield, this kind of thing. And when you, when you, after a game, you, you look at your list and go, you know what, this particular point, and in your case, it's Magnus the Red wasn't fitting into the battle plan. And so you cut that out and then you have in the case of Magnus, you have a lot of extra points to, to play with. <laughs> um, but like for me, a specific example is I went to LVO with the Tau list that is a very similar list to what I'm running now, but it only had two Riptides uh, and had three Broadsides and two Ripsides and a bunch of Firewars and other characters. I found, and I had 13 command points, a lot more than I have now in my current list, and I, but I found at LVO that the games I lost was because people were touching my Broadsides and Riptides and I needed to be moving them around at the end of the game. And then they were, cause they're moving, they needed a five plus to hit and I needed only had two of them and maybe one had died. And I found that the fireworks didn't really do anything because I didn't have a sufficient number of them to really against one, against one game against some demonettes. They were really helpful cause I just mobbed up 30 of them and they just blasted away a whole unit by themselves, but I didn't need them to do that. So I dropped after LVO, I kind of assessed my list. I said, oh, you know, I don't need as many command points as I thought I did because I didn't use the plus one to wound stratagem that often. You typically, if I'm going to use it, it's against a Knight Castle, which if we see less of in the meta will we'll, uh, not be a big deal. But <clears throat> So I added in another Riptide. I dropped some characters and some uh, Firewars and a Battalion and added a third Riptide in. Um, and that's kind of where I am now. Um, I've now found after Battle for Los Angeles... Uh, and I kind of knew it before I went into Battle for Los Angeles, but I just didn't have the model, and we'd already submitted our list when I kind of came to this realization. But I'm going to switch one of my Riptides to an Ion Cannon instead of Heavy Burst Cannon. I'm going to try that out for a couple of test games because I just found that I needed something that could, like, punch through a vehicle, like, reliably. Like, shooting a Heavy Burst Cannon into a vehicle, you'll you'll get a couple wounds, and, you know, they might fail a save or two, but minus one AP is not the... the um, the best at punching through like a rhino, <laughs> it has a four up save. And if you can get a minus three, it's, it's a lot better. So I don't know for me at battle for Los Angeles, my big loss was to, uh, at the top table to Ray. Um, he was playing as Yanari last kind of last hurrah, the Yanari double shooting Reapers. My, my big, my error wasn't it, the, the, the ion cannon would have helped, but the didn't <laughs> lose me the game or anything. I lost because I deployed like a dummy and <laughs> deployed my, my, my broadsides where he could just charge them on turn one. And he did, of course, because he's a smart player. And, and, uh, I think my, this kind of harkens back to the last episode about assessing your losses is I often find myself at the top tables or making, or, you know, when I'm playing at you know, kind of higher stakes in the later rounds of a GT, 
I get a little stressed out and I, I make a deployment error because I'm stressed out and I don't know how the game is going to go. I have, it's not one of my strong suits is assessing how a game is going to play before the game plays. I'm good at like when I'm in the turn, turn, turn by turn assessment of what's going on. But the, the like pregame, we're like, well, this is how this game is going to go one through six. This is how it's going to play out. I don't do that very well. So I was really worried that Ray was going to give me second, first turn and he was going to hide in a corner and then he didn't. He just took first turn and like charged me. <laughs> so because I deployed, so I could, if he did that, I could move forward and and shoot him. And then I didn't think about like, oh, if he goes first, I'll just come over and shut off my broadsides for the whole game. So um, that's kind of how I go about assessing my uh, if I want to change my list. You know, I just kind of look at what 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 didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Yeah, another thing that I struggle with. You reminded me uh, another thing about what I'm going to change in my list. I really struggle with secondaries. With my Eldar army, with my Eldar, with the Razorwing jet fighters, I can always operate behind enemy lines. I can, you know, take recon. I can go places and do everything. I can just kill a unit wherever I wanted to. So I'm fine, perfectly fine taking old school. Secondaries were just such a breeze with that Eldar army. And now I've greatly, I don't have that kind of mobility and that, that, that kind of pinpoint accuracy. I, I struggle with secondaries a lot. And so I keep a lot of stuff in reserves. I keep my, uh, I deep strike my Zangors, I deep strike my horrors. And so in the backfield, just holding objectives, I got just brimstone horrors and like 10 cultists. And they can be killed and they're not very durable, especially if somebody's well motivated to kill them. And I thought one of the things is I'm going to change is I'm going to buff them up a little bit to Rubric Marines because Rubric Marines are a little bit more durable than, of course, Cultists and the Brimstone Horrors. And what I'm going to do with them is basically make them engineers so they can farm, uh, farm the secondaries that way because I need something a little bit durable in the backfield to hold hold because I'm just struggling uh, with the secondary objectives. Yeah, if you if you don't have mobility and your army doesn't have your uh ton of shooting it's tough to get your secondaries i mean you know you could be a durable horde but if you're not you know if you can't get headhunter points because your opponent is hiding all his characters you're you're, you're just kind of sol yeah there's some lists out there like eldar just really hard to get secondaries off of and that just exacerbates the problem so yeah all right so yeah so you went you went four and oh four and one but four and oh before losing at the top table and the uh, it was a it was a tough match there, and but you did well. I went like I said, I ended up losing my uh, my second game, but I went four and four and one as well, because like I said, I struggled with secondaries. My my win totals were not very big, so I ended up uh, I ended up uh, like I think sixth place, maybe eighth place. But I just wanted to go over the list, the names of the people who are the the final round in the fourth round. Who are the top six players? So we had Jeff Poole, number one. We had Ray, Ray Almuda. He was in uh, second place. Jeff Robinson, who actually won the tournament. He was in third place. He actually he gave Ray such a tough game that uh, he ended up jumping over Ray. And we had Mark Carrion in fourth place. We had Frankie Giampapa in fifth place. And Don Hooson in sixth place. So... You had a lot of good players in the top six. Brandon Grant's not even on there, and he was playing. He was, I think, he was, uh, he was three and one at that point. So it was a who's who of the West Coast uh, uh, heavy hitters. So yeah, it was a stacked tournament. I uh, 
I beat Don. He, we have a uh, Don and me have a good uh, rapport, but he's 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 like I've, lost, I've I beat him in two other tournament games, and he's like I'm coming for you, Jeff. We're gonna get you. And then we we got paired together, and round four, and he, I beat him. It was uh, he was not happy about the. How outcome. did that go? Because he he did take the purge with those dreadnoughts that have a ton of firepower, and they get to reroll everything now. Oh, it was absurd. He had a lot of firepower. Um, I literally was afraid I was gonna get shot off the board, and I was driving in on the morning of with uh, Danny from TFG, and I just he was we were driving. He picked me up, and I said, you know what? Maybe what if I deep strike my drones and make him go first? And um, and Danny was kind of tired and didn't say anything. <laughs> but then I just thought about it, and I and I, I uh, kind of you know I, I we got to the table. I got to, to choose to whether to make him deploy first or second. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just give it a whirl. And I took cover on the first turn, and he struggled to get even to kill a fire warrior unit. Finally got his fire warrior unit killed. But I was able to uh, – the big risk for me wasn't turn one because his whole army is minus one AP. So with the riptides and the broadtides having armor of two up, I didn't really – wasn't worried about turn one. I was worried about turn two because I couldn't deep strike my drones until the bottom of turn two. So – I was very concerned that on her turn two, if he rolled hot and I rolled poor on my saves, with their, which are going down to three up, so that he could just pick up a bunch of broadsides or something like that. But luckily for me, uh, he did not do that. In fact, his luck was on turn two was really poor, and I made all kinds of six up field no pains. I was I was making six up field no pains like it was my job, and you know because he was trying to proc the purge trait, and I, he'd get a damage through two damage. I go, oh shit. And I'd roll two sixes on my field of pain, so you couldn't you couldn't proc his purge trade on any of my riptides. Uh, so that that really that turn swung the game really heavily because then I was able to um, he didn't do much damage to me on that turn. I was able to bring my drones down and then just kind of pick up pick up his his vehicles as they kind of came at me because um, we had the same range band. So it was a kind of a gamble that didn't work out. It didn't work out for him, but it, it did work out for me. So. Um, that's yeah, kind of how the game Yeah, if you can is. roll sixes, you get really good at this game. Yeah, so that's that's tip number one. Yeah, so I, I just, although, you know, we didn't encounter some of those, it's good to look around at the meta, the local meta, and see what lists are succeeding. So we saw Jeff Robinson, like I said, do very well with those with those Custodes tanks. There were some people there, and a couple of them were good players, were running the, uh, the Possessed the possess bomb. bomb. yeah. And that uh, that was kind of underwhelming with how the uh, possessed bomb did. Now it's still a little early, so we're gonna see. You know, get get a little bit of the uh, the dust kicked off of it and see how well it really does. But it, it's kind of like almost any bomb, like a deep strike bomb or whatever. You just deploy screens and just you know your crap behind it, and it seems like it's still gonna struggle. You know, you can tie units up and try point them, but it just it just kind of seems like it functions just like a deep strike bomb. So people are kind of familiar with how to defend against it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I uh, I played Mark Carey on his his uh, list, and it pretty much came down to who went first, and I got to go first and shoot it off the board. So, you know, <laughs> if you have to go first, it's kind of uh, not the best the best idea. And that, in the in the match we played, there wasn't anywhere for him to hide his possessed. Not that he would have hidden him. He put he needed to put him on the line and hope to go first. I think so. 
Yeah, and I think it's still early to for the Chaos Codex. Like I said, we don't really review codexes here because it takes really about at least three months, I think, before the builds all start kind of people figuring out the builds. You, the start, com- seeing their combinations. At, you start seeing their performance at GTs too in that time frame too. Yeah, so we start seeing people not having the models and they don't have them painted, so they're, they're holding off on them. So we're, we're going to see, I think the BAO will, might be more of a coming out party for the uh chaos codex because i think uh, i think it does have some some interesting tricks in there because i was thinking about running a blitz in my in my zinch army and uh so you know you can get like a master of possessed they have a five up save so you can bring them down to a four up save and then you can you can do something like give them like a dark apostle can give them uh give actually they have a, a psychic spell to give them zinch psychic spell to give them minus one to the save so they can get a three up and vulnerable save and then you can make them Alpha Legion with the Marquezine so they have minus one to be hit over 12 inches. And then you can put like a Dark Apostle on them, give them another minus one to hit. So you can have a three up and vulnerable save, minus two to hit. So it'll cost you 500 points to get that unit. But, you know, it's it's there's some combos there and things that we haven't really seen fleshed out. And it'll be interesting, especially I haven't seen, do it, I guess Don used those Lord Discordants. Yeah, he had two of them in the list. They performed really well. Um, I mean, it was a non-optimal game for them in my case because when they they, they do their work in melee, <laughs> yeah. and if you do your work in melee against a Tau gunline, it's yeah, it's not a happy day for you. You know what I mean? Yep. And so we're gonna wrap it up. We're gonna do a, on the last note, Ray. Since Ray beat you, you can listen to Ray at the on the Veteran Gamer Reenlisted podcast, and he's having the Slaughterfest GT. Down in Temecula, California, just a little bit north uh, west, uh, northeast of uh, San Diego, California. It's going to be July 27th and 28th in the Pachanga Casino. It's a very nice uh, kind of resort casino. So uh, sign up for that, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of the same people that were at the Battle for L.A. down there and uh, competing the best uh, players in the California and the West Coast. So. so on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Say goodbye, Jeff. Take it easy, guys. All right. Have a nice week.